What social media also gives people a license to do is fucking bullshit. That's the problem that I fucking can't stand. I wish there was some bar of entry that people can't... Saying whatever they want. Saying whatever they want. (laughs) It's like, I made a million pounds, do it. No, you didn't. Like, no, you didn't. The quickest way to to make yourself poor is to take get-rich-quick advice off poor people. Like, why are poor people advising people on how to get rich? You haven't got a fucking pot to piss in, mate. The only way you fail in my business is if you don't make the effort. That's the only component that will make you fail. So that's why when someone fails in my business, I don't lose a fucking wink of sleep about it. Because we've done our bit. We've come up with our half. If you can't even get out of bed in the morning and put your fucking socks on, that's your problem. You've got some bigger problems in life waiting for you. Welcome to another episode of the Physically Jacked Financially Stacked podcast. Today we've got an awesome guest who's Tyrone Ash. So one of the big things that Tyrone's known as, you call yourself the king of real estate in the UK, right? Um, So if you guys know my background is originally in a state agency, I did that for six, seven years. We're talking a bit off camera for this. So this is going to be a really fascinating conversation. If I was to give a 60 second synopsis on who you are and what you've done for anyone who doesn't know who you are, what would you say? Um, I think for me... I am the, the, the sort of person who effectively started off in a state agency, high street, high street working for eighteen, nineteen thousand pounds a year, deflated, went down the wrong path, um, ended up getting myself a, a prison sentence because of it, dug myself out of that, started at ground zero, started really researching the business end of it after I learned the luxury real estate industry, um, and then started then getting into the dynamics of building a business and then now we've got a you know a a large luxury real estate firm in the uk um we had a television show on channel four called mega mansion hunters and we now launched our dubai division about five six months ago which is going really well um you know not through one of a few challenges (laughs) and here i am so yeah that's the, the quick version um question what agency did you work for out the gate um, so I worked on real high street agencies. I started at Connell's. Um, oh, Connell's, okay. Yeah, yeah, I started at Connell's. This is random. Do you know a guy called Kevin Peel? Was he still there? Um, I couldn't tell you. What year Con- did you start there? Because, oh, God, now you're asking me. I was 18, 19 years old. I don't want to tell everyone my age, but, yeah. So that was, a, that was fuck, I'm quite old now. That was 21 years ago, 20, 21 years ago, 19 years ago. And that was in Milton Keynes in okay. Bletchley, on okay. Bletchley High Street. My first sale was um, a shared ownership in Walnut Tree for £25,000. It was a shared ownership, and I earned £63 commission. <laughs> Spent all at once. Yeah. What, um, it's interesting you coming from that, working for a corporate mm. agency. What did you learn maybe from working within a corporate environment that now you have your own business that you think, like, I definitely don't want to fucking do that? I think there's there's pluses and minuses um, to take from corporate structures. The first thing that is a plus is the organisation. I think that people confuse um, being creative in business with not being organised. So corporate life takes that to the extreme. It tells people when they've got half an hour to eat their lunch, what time they've got to be in, what time they've got to leave. And, you know, it becomes very very much a dictatorship for not a lot of money so there's a lot of negatives that then come with that yes the business gets organized and a lot of the time it can mean that the business can be profitable because it's so organized but 
it is at the expense of the people that are involved in it. You know, your top people in the business are lucky to earn sort of 60, 70, 80,000 pound a year. And, you know, we all know the tax implications on a PAYE. You're walking over about four, five, six grand in your bank a month. So it's not a lot. So there is a lot that I took with regards to the organizational aspect, but I didn't like everything else attached to it. One of the things for me was that I saw a massive opportunity in exploiting the real estate and estate agency market based on implementing a luxury agency that gears itself closer towards an Americanized commission-only structure where people are building their own brand within the brand and they're earning big money, basically. And also, you know, corporate also allows people to steal a living that's the other thing because often the people who are clawing off your bottom line at two grand a month three grand a month for certain jobs aren't even worth a grand a month they're just there and they hide in the corners and fill the hole yeah they do until eventually someone goes through the figures and goes actually what's this person done for the last nine months let's get rid of them so there's a lot of that in corporate life you know people acting like i call them busy fools and i think uh I really like that mentality and a lot of like what we do with our own businesses. People are commission only and that's yeah. where like you're incentivized to perform. Like yeah. you're either good or you, you're out the door because like you, it's not going to work for you. Oh, absolutely. I think um, I always, I heard a saying, um, as this goes on, you know, I've got a lot of sayings that I live by. But um, one of them was that poor people get paid on their time, rich people get paid on their results. And this one stuck with me a lot because... I remember doing, I, re- I remember when I started in luxury real estate and I was on a commission only structure and everyone, family members, people that knew me were like, you can't do that. They're not even paying you a salary. And I was like, yeah, but if I sell this house, I earn 10 grand. If I sell this house, I earn 12 grand. Yeah, if. I said, well, no one's going to give me 12 grand to not sell the house. I've got to get that. So I understood it completely. And I was like, you know, when, when can I start? I'm, I'm all for this because I knew how good I was at the job. So people are very very scared of taking zero salary because they call it security well let's analyze security um let's just say that on a secure job you get in well the average salary is 25 26 thousand pound a year that's not a lot of money it means you're probably taking about two grand a month something like that if you're lucky what does two grand a month get you well Let's just say that you manage to, in the needle in a haystack, find an apartment or something to rent for £1,200 a month. That leaves you £200 a week to live on. I don't like those maths. And I know that, you know, I don't know where you're going to eat. I don't know what car you're going to drive. I don't know if you're going to join a gym. I don't know what you're going to do, but two grand a month, unfortunately, is absolutely not secure. I actually think there's more security in being on zero because at least you've got the will to get up and do something you know when you when you when you're in the hamster wheel and you get in two grand a month and you watch the bills come in you pay them you get left with a little bit of money and then you need to go on holidays you put it on a credit card and you spend the next year paying that credit card off that is a quick road to nowhere and i would never ever get on it i think that's where people almost get pigeonholed in the fucking trap though and they can never get out of that right particularly when you mentioned about the credit card cycle because Mm. then any excess money they have, they put into paying that off, and then it's the same spiral for years and years and years. It's crazy, and then and then they they think the funny thing is is um, it's the mentality attached to it. I remember my brother Reese. He he, he said um, he said once when we were all sat around a table, and he said, "Isn't it funny that 
when you're in that corporate environment, you'll be in an office and someone will get a promotion. So their salary will go from 26 to 32. And then they'll all go for drinks on a Friday and congratulate each other. Well done on your promotion, blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. But if your friend starts a business, no one fucking says anything. And it's like, because actually, when you are around people who are in that environment, going up two, three, four grand on a salary or whatever it might be, you all know it's only a few hundred quid a month. It's not going to, you know, change your life in any way, shape, or form. So of course you're happy to go for a few beers. If someone's trying to build a multi-million-pound company, that's a bit of a threat to my mediocrity. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to congratulate them. I'm definitely not going to do business with them because I don't want to put my money in their pocket. It's like the mentality of it all changes, and that I noticed a lot. Don't you think that's a very, we can both say that because we're British, that's a British mentality? Because this is why I love Americans, because Americans Americans would rather you went and you tried to start a business and it failed than you never tried at all. Whereas in the UK, they're like, you, you should never leave your job, you should go and start staying the safe job you have, like stay in the nine to five, don't step outside of your box. I think it is exactly that in Britain. I think that, um, you know, I've had people just the lesson I learned very very quickly is when you pick the route that you're going to do and it's business stop talking about it to people and just get on with it because I'm telling you now you're not going to get the validation you want from the people you tell because I tell you why because nobody wants you to do well I think that's what people need to understand even your friendship group even probably close members of your family that's the worst part about it because the reality is is that you're looking for validation on your idea. So you might go, I'm starting this business. It's a great idea, isn't it? I'm putting everything into it. And then your friends are going, yeah, but it's a bit risky. And I don't know, that market's been done and blah, 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 blah. blah. And you go, oh, well, that didn't go how I thought it was going to go. I feel a bit down now. You know, and then you, you're not as enthusiastic about it. The reality is just shut the fuck up and get on with it and don't put your head up until you start making money. And that's kind of what people's attitude to business really needs to be. You can't expect people to jump on board with your idea because it's not their idea and they don't actually want to see you get rich. No one wants to see anyone get wealthy. That's the reality. I think what you, one of the things you said there that my opinion is people procrastinate too much rather than just doing the thing. They talk about doing the thing think about doing thing or planning about doing thing rather than just fucking starting yes paralysis through over analysis yeah. that's the uh, that's um, a great saying that I um, I love because it's the over analysis of a situation now if you actually break down what analysis means analysis is basically risk assessment that's what it is so when you're talking about risk assessing a career jump or a business or whatever it might be I can tell you now, right, I can tell you now, categorically, there are more negatives than there are pros. The only pro is, I'm going to make a lot of money, and then the rest of the list are negatives. So, there's no point over-analyzing all the negatives. Just analyze the process. Just say, what's the process? What do I need to do? And how am I going to sustain myself while I do that well the first part of sustaining yourself while building a business number one on the list is sacrifice that's the number one thing so the one thing that people aren't willing to do and they attach lack of sacrifice with security so they'll go well I'm not going to set up a business it's too risky no no it's not too risky you're just not willing to sacrifice the things that you're used to doing in order to get that result 
that's not risk that's you effectively paralyzing your own dreams through overanalyzing the risk and that is why people won't do it for me when i went self-employed when i started the business when i took all these risks i didn't think about my lifestyle what was i doing for that first period i can tell you now i was living on beans on toast i went to the the sainsbury's downstairs of the block of my flats i was living in angel in north london and i would buy a loaf of bread and i'd buy six tins of beans and that'd be my lunch and dinner until i was making money it cost me like about five quid six quid and that was my sacrifice when i was actually earning money as a real estate agent i was earning 10 15 12 8 9 10 grand a month regularly so i was eating in mayfair i was going partying i was doing whatever the fuck i wanted but the problem was i lived to my means so i didn't actually have that much money i was always like spending it typical sales guy thinking he's charlie big bananas and you know and it was gone and oh shit i need to sell some more houses that's how it was and you know it was fun but you start making some big boy decisions and thinking i need to set up a business fucking hell you can't be in mayfair every week your mate's calling you oh, do you want to go to do you know go for drinks on a friday well, i've got no money mate i've just had to pay off two property portals and build a website and um and a crm system and get all the graphic design and the logos done plus i've got a pipeline of properties that aren't going to exchange for about four months i've got about four months of hard work to do i can't afford a beer at the moment i've got to just get on with it so the sacrifice is what the people aren't willing to do here's another one I've had people who've come into the business and then they've had a partner. They go, I've got kids. This is the best one. They always throw their kids under the bus. They go, I've got kids. You know, my kids need me. Oh, do they? They need you, do they? Right, okay. So what do you think is going to happen when your kid's 15, 16 and his mates are all getting nice stuff for Christmas and you can't even afford to buy him anything good? Do you think he's going to care that you sat in staring at him going, I'm dad of the year? Get out there and earn some fucking money because your kid's going to be pissed off when he can't go on a holiday and he doesn't get the football boots that he wants and he's got nothing for Christmas because you wanted security. It's, it's nuts. And people, unfortunately, it's like a harsh truth. But people don't want to face that truth. So, like, you know, I can't stand that mentality. I can't even have friends that have that mentality because it makes me sick. I just think... You are, do you understand how selfish you actually are? That what you just said there really resonates because one of the big things I think about is like you have to be selfish to be selfless. Yeah. Like you, by becoming the greatest version of you and achieving huge success, you can provide for the rest of your family and generations to come. It's how, how people can't understand that, I don't understand. It's that. the most unselfish yeah. decision you you're ever sacrificing make in your life. yourself. You're sacrificing yourself. Oh, yeah, but he's only money motivated. Yeah, but why is he money motivated? Why, is he, why does he need to earn 100 grand a month? instead of 100 grand a year it's because he wants to provide for his children his mum his dad gen- maybe his children's children who knows well that takes some pretty big um pretty big action it's like i remember some guy like commenting on one of my things and he said oh money money's not everything you should be happy with your day-to-day life and be grateful and i thought listen for an, for an element of what he said i agreed you should be grateful for what you've got but if you're not aspiring to do anything more that's an extremely selfish decision because that affects people because there might be a family member that gets ill there might be a kid this is a reality mm. there might be 
you know, do do you want your do you want your children going to school knowing they could fall into gangs? Do you want them to be at risk every time they walk to the bus stop? These are all products of mediocrity. That's the reality. And if if you don't make self selfish decisions on your career, then your future you might even not even have the kids yet. But if you're earning two and a half, three grand a month and you're stuck on that hamster wheel and you're throwing a kid into that hamster wheel, you're in fucking trouble, mate. You're in trouble. And you you are now going to be at the mercy of what life throws at you. You are now reactive to life. You're not life is not reactive to you. If you've got wealth, you go, Do you know what? I want to put my kid in that private school. I want to make sure that they've got the best education and they're going to school with other kids whose parents are millionaires and we can all do business together. Money, money solves problems, right? It does. It does. And I think that there's a common misconception of like money doesn't make you happy. That's the best one. I know loads of depressed billionaires and blah. Yeah, there are depressed, but they're, they're depressed anyway. But they're just, you know, where they, where they get their depression from isn't from having money. It probably... It probably alleviated it for a long time. It probably delayed the problem. But the problem that a lot of people with a lot of money have, and we spoke about this off camera, mm. is they lose that bite. So the, the 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 drive the drive can go, and like that's the problem. They were their happiest when they were on the up. They were their happiest when they were climbing the hill, when they made their first million, when they got their first month where they earned a hundred grand. I remember my first month I earned 100 grand and I thought, fucking hell, I'm a fucking billionaire. I'm not, but like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was like the... It, and you remember those pivotal moments oh. in your mind, right? I remember the first time we saw a fitness coaching program for 10 grand. Yes. And I remember being in my like little shitty wooden shed office in my house <laughs> yeah, in Surrey, yeah. like fucking shouting. And then my wife at the time was like, what the fuck is, what, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. And I was like, we just sold this. I was like... It's, they're the ones you remember. And I, and I remember like, you know, it's that hustle, like, you know, when we talk about, like, uh, for me, I was in, I was going down that route. Like, when I had that, the UK was absolutely flying. And I thought, God, I've created this out of nothing. And we've got people earning serious money in the company. They're changing their lives. They're changing their families' lives. The business is thriving. We've had a TV show. I've got more money than I know what to do with. I'm driving a fucking quarter of a million pound car. Life is fucking good. I'm eating where I want. I'm going to Mayfair every other day. I'm... Uh, this is it. Completed it. And something was missing still. And I was like, well, is this it? <laughs> like, you know, it was like that. So, so you know, I, I, I started losing that drive a little bit. And, 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 I, and I started getting down a bit of a spiral of, of, of social drinking. And my health was deteriorating and all this sort of stuff. And that's why I come to Dubai. Because I thought, right, I need a, I need a fucking mountain to climb. I do. I need, I need to get to the bottom of a mountain, look up and think, right, now this is a challenge. How am I going to start chipping away at this? And that's when it started, because I was going on holiday, every, you know, two, three times a year, and a lot of those holidays were like coming to Dubai, because it was the best time to come in the winter, because I was, you know, I was too rich to holiday anywhere else. So I was too rich to endure the weather. So I was like, sweet, let's go to Dubai. I'll go and stay in like Jumeirah Beach or wherever and I was having a great time but the problem was real estate was getting rammed down my throat and suddenly I've got the concierge a friend of mine um, 
you know, he, he was saying to me, you need to really be jumping on the real estate end here. You know, you're missing a trick. And suddenly, my holidays were getting ruined because I was thinking, God, I'm missing something here. And then I analysed it. And then I started thinking, okay, this can happen. I need to make this happen. And four, five, six months later, I was here. I was on a one-way flight to Dubai with all my belongings. And it was the most... I'll never forget that feeling because that was like the weirdest feeling I've ever had in my life because I'd gone from thinking I was like cock of the walk and I could do anything I wanted and I was having lunch in the Bluebird every day and I was doing whatever the fuck I wanted in Chelsea and I loved life, it was good. So I was on a one-way flight to Dubai to go and stay in a one-bed apartment and I was like, this is like, you know... my juices are flowing again the adrenaline's well, going to go again yeah. yeah the adrenaline's going and that was when um that was when i got really excited about it and i said to my missus like look we're moving into a one-bed apartment I'll, I'll make no bones about it right and i said because we don't deserve to live in anything better at the moment that's what i said we don't deserve to live in anything better so she, as you can imagine she was ecstatic <laughs> <laughs> you're obviously good at sales to sell that right? yeah 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 it's like just visualize it <laughs> And um, and for six months we stayed in like, hey, listen, I'm not saying we were staying in bloody Deera, but what yeah. I'm saying is we were, you know, we were in just, a, you know, f- compared to what I usually live in, it was a very small one-bed apartment um, in Business Bay. And the reason I liked living in that one-bed apartment, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I got sick of it, but like it was that I couldn't stand being in there. So I had to get out. It creates pain, it creates yeah, drive, right? Yeah, what am I sitting in here? It's pissing me off. So I was like, I need to get out, make something happen. And um, and then the business started growing. We got good good agency and we were training them. We were getting all the up to speed with everything. And then, yeah, we moved out and we're in a nicer place now. But it's like, I love that. That That's what gets me going. I love a challenge. I the don't. Hunt. Oh, the hunt's the best. It's the best. That's what that's what that's what really gets me up in the morning i need i need to kill i can't i can't sit and be comfortable but that's the definition of entrepreneurship and you Mm. very quickly can see who has that and who Mm. doesn't because you're at the point where you don't need to fucking climb this mountain i'm similar in a similar point where i don't need to really do what i'm doing now yeah but i fucking love it and excited to do it because it's like it pushes you to get to the next level you have to do it it's the growth you get with it is 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 is, is, is incomprehensible. It's so big. Like what I love about Dubai in the UK, it's like okay, yeah, you've done well, and everyone kind of like, you know, feathers you know feathers your ego a little bit. And I'd walk and say, oh, Ty, yeah, love what you've done, love what the TV show, and it's great. And you know, your ego gets big, and you think you're fucking the man. Big balls, yeah. You do, and and Dubai comes, and that's all gone. So suddenly, I'm like this new kid not kid but like you know people know i am they know the business and stuff but now it's like well you ain't gonna do it here you know you're not gonna do it here there's people there's there's companies that have been 15 20 years i've got 500 agents good for them so but i spent five six months analyzing this market i've spent five months analyzing who my competition are how their businesses are set up where the weaknesses are how we're going to exploit it if people think that i've come here to to just take a back seat i haven't like we are going to dislodge massively how the real estate market especially for brokers is out here we know the weaknesses we know that people the one thing brokers lack out here even if they're earning a lot of money is significance so 
for me, significance is actually one of, I think it's probably, besides kind of food, water, and all that sort of stuff, it's one of the greatest human needs. It's, if you think about analysing significance, it's why somebody might start an OnlyFans account because they don't get attention from the opposite sex. So suddenly they lose a bit of weight, stick on some underwear, and suddenly they've got people paying for their whatever. Or it might be, the kid who got bullied in high school and suddenly turns into a crazy murderer, it's, he wants significance. He wants his face on the front page and he wants to walk into prison. Everyone goes, oh, that's that crazy murderer. And he doesn't care that he spends 25 years of his life in prison. He gets his significance. A form of status, right? Yeah, exactly. And actually, social media is the massi- a massive driver for that, is everybody wants significance. So for me, if I was a real estate broker out here and I've been working for like two, three, four, five years, even if I'm earning 30, 40, 50,000 pounds a month, well done, you're in Dubai, everyone's got money out here. Like money actually doesn't make you unique. And that's the funny thing with Dubai. Money doesn't make you unique. Everyone's got money. That's, I think, the weirdest perspective. And that's one of the reasons I came here as well, as I felt in the UK, I was like big fish, small pond. I came here and there was like, dudes in my fucking car park at Bugattis and stuff <laughs> man, like, I feel really broken like insignificant suddenly it's right it's nuts it's absolutely nuts and it I tell you now it it messed with my head in in a positive way but it messed with me a lot because you just you're just not that big a deal but then this is for <laughs> me I don't find the same that the standard of the bar of what's acceptable becomes so high yes that I'm just you just push for greatness and like what would be seen as an ex- extreme success in the UK is like shit now. Yeah, it's just crazy. So like, you're there and you, you walk into the gym and you see like three, four million pounds worth of cars parked up outside the front and you think, fucking hell, I've got to work harder. Like, you know, and... It's that daily reminder though, it's right? It's nuts. And that is brilliant about it. But then I also, so I relate that to like, okay, if I was a real estate broker, one of the things that would irritate me would be I'm bringing all of this money effectively into this company that I work for and I'm just another name under that massive banner that big reception with the huge logo that's so big just to remind you <laughs> that you ain't really that significant part of the machine and you you're going you're another little cog in the machine and if and if you don't earn this company 50 grand a month or 100 grand a month or whatever don't worry someone else will do it that ain't real estate for me. Real estate for me is the complete opposite of that. If you look at like the biggest realtors in the world, you look at like your Ryan Serhant, Josh Altman, Frederick Eklund, I think his name is, yeah. You look at these guys, right? Funny enough, I don't know if Ryan Serhant set, set his own one up, but what I'm saying is they all were part of real estate brokerages, okay? So I think Ryan Her- uh, Serhant was part of Nest Seekers at the time. I don't think he is anymore. Um, Frederick Eklund is part of Douglas Elliman. Um, even like uh, Gavin Rubenstein in Australia is a fucking superstar. He's rolling around in a Euros. He's got his team that are banging out money. And he's part of a brokerage. But they're the fucking superstars. They're the ones with their faces on the billboards. They're the ones with the huge social media. And the order it goes in is this. Superstar realtor, superstar realtor's team, and they're just fucking on it, selling everything in partnership with the brokerage that supports them and gives them the the foundation to do it, the platform. That's what real estate is. In Dubai, it's 
real estate brokerage in huge font where you can't even, I don't even know where they get signs this big in reception. And then some guy will be coming in earning more money than he knows what to do with. And he's just being reminded that he's another robot in this big machine, like you said, or another cog in this machine. And that for me is what lacks significantly. They can do a bit of social media content, but they are made to look like employees. And for me, Tyron Ash agents, you just have to go onto their profiles. It's all about the agent. You know, I'm not saying to somebody you need to wear a badly fitting blue suit. I'm not saying that you need to wear a tie that you don't even know how to do it properly and the top button's not done up. I'm not saying that. I'm saying whatever your style is, you need to own that. So we've got like one guy who wears pinstripe suits and then we've got another guy who wears a designer t-shirt or an open Ralph shirt. Whatever your style is, own it. But be your brand. Personal brand is a massive part of Tyron Ash International. That's why, because I want superstars created. I want the next Ryan Serhant created. I want the next Josh Altman created. I want these people created within Tyron Ash International. And what I love about Dubai is that even if your brokerages are turning over absolute dough, absolute money, I couldn't name you one of them that are in there doing absolute numbers. Do you know why? Because you don't allow them to take centre stage. To take and credit for it. No. Do you and think because they're worried about being poached by other agencies? Yes. Yeah. They're yes. trying to like hide them almost. A hundred percent. I couldn't give you any names. And the funny thing is, is that that is why it's very ego driven by the people who own the, the brokerages. So a lot of them, what you see is these giant brokerages with like four or 500 people in there. And it looks great, like, you know, hats off to you. you you're turning over enough money to make a, to, to, to build, put an office together like that, great. But, you know, we all know the figures. I can tell you the numbers now. Dubai has anywhere between an 87 to 95% failure rate for real estate agents. 87 to 95%. 87 is a good, good end. What's the time frame for that? I reckon it's within six to 12 months. It's still going to be no more than that. But I would, I would, let's just call it 12. When you talk about that, and then you talk about your bang for your buck with regards to the performance of an agent, like we fire bad agents. I could tell you, I'll go on record now to say that if someone comes in and they're not doing their social media, they're not making their calls, they're not, they're not trying to build their business they're not trying to earn two three hundred thousand pound plus a year you this is not the place for you i make that very clear when they join the business i don't want them they're bad energy in fact i call them cancers of the biz of business i think negativity spreads like wildfire it's like a bad fruit spread into the next fruit if you if you leave it in the basket the whole basket will just be moldy and actually these companies a lot of them you know, it works and they turn it. I'm not saying it in a way where it's like I think they're better than them. I just think it's that I know that if you're working on even an 80% failure rate, that means of your 500 staff you've got in there, how many of them are actually making your money? And how much is that 500 people walking around an office just to fluff your own ego? So you've got a big office at the back that no one's allowed in. And you can sit through the glass and see what everyone's doing. <laughs> I just think it's bullshit. <laughs> well, I think a lot of businesses like that house of cards, right? Yeah. It's just like a, a show. And I think that's where, with the type of model, that's why like, like the US real estate market versus the UK one, yeah. it's actually much more favorable for people to, to earn money based upon performance rather than just fucking turning up. Yeah, I think as well, it's like a lot of what's happening um, 
where people are arriving in Dubai is they're getting stuck in like a really unattractive like lettings role and they're like running around the marina on a hundred appointments a day on a that you know it, it's 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 that's not what they signed up for they were watching selling sunset they were watching million dollar listing and they went i can do a bit of that then the road show rocks into town and they're like oh yeah do you want to be a dubai agent and bang i go and it's like there are some some success stories and like you know i respect anyone who's come here and made money and is 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 now changing their life and i and and don't get it twisted at all i absolutely love real estate like for me it's what i live and breathe but i also know how i felt as an agent most people who run real estate companies weren't actually agents themselves and actually for me i'm a grassroots agent i've done it from the first deal i told you about where i earned about 60 quid i've sold luxury houses three bed semis two ups two downs council flats i've sold the lot and i know how hard it is to be good at the job and i know that if you're just flown over here to try and draw a winning lottery ticket you might but that's not what real estate is and actually i've seen people do it we had somebody in our business who earned over nearly about a hundred thousand pound net commission in one deal and they got lucky they got lucky and i said to them you've got lucky and you need to use that now as a platform to build the business learn the industry and actually become greater you've got a buffer that everyone wishes they had did he listen no i was about to ask that what did he do from then he spanked it all yes yeah, it's broke again and that's just that's just how it works and i think that anyone who's who's um who's had the fortune of hitting a big deal i think shit that was easy it's not that easy and you don't know you, what the next one's going to be either right exactly if you don't have a sustainable process and sustainable ability to grow it as your own business that pile will just keep getting chipped at and let's face it if you've even earned a million quid from a deal and you think yes i'm a millionaire it will get chipped down very very quick when you start buying a nice car suddenly you roll around a ferrari you've suddenly got an rm on your wrist maybe a patek as well you're eating in the nicest restaurants you're buying expensive clothes a million quid goes fucking fast mate i can tell you that for free it goes fast and like you you have to have a plan to build it further otherwise the pile will diminish it will go in terms of what you mentioned there, it almost reminds me as business in general that I, you always see, like, and we just spoke about this, the UK real estate industry was struggling a bit this year, that you have cycles of like seasons when it's like, I can, I'm like fucking God, God reincarnated and like printing your money. And then you other times you're like fucking banging your head against the wall. I think the more you go through that, the more you learn like when it's really good, appreciate it. And also don't be yeah. reckless with the money. 100%. If you got anything like that, you've learned through those processes and ups and downs yeah i think like i mean i could um openly tell you that you know as the interest rates hiked up and um you know it got stiff in the uk it got stiff right across the uk um we had four month period that was the hardest we've ever had it was the lowest in sales we've ever done in four years um and then at the back off the back of those four months we weathered the storm we made sure that we were getting massive amounts of listings we were pricing things correctly we were making sure that we were picking up portfolios of people that needed to offload them and we started putting deals together in more creative ways um this is through the training that i give and you know we we hit our highest sales months ever in the history so we went from four months of being the lowest sales months ever through a you know a lot of market conditions and stuff to two straight three months of being the highest recorded sales months we've ever had so 
in essence you have to make hay while the sun shines you have to be constantly picking up listings and working the listings correctly don't list for ego um you know listing property has a process attached to it an owner must have facts figures and data about where that property is sitting in the market they must know what's a realistic price that they should be achieving ballpark figure don't just tell people what they want to hear then you've got to also say what's your actual strategy for getting those properties sold are you just going to stick it online and hope for the best have you got a proper pricing strategy have you got a social media strategy have you got an open house strategy have you got a door knocking strategy all of these different things that we provide for an owner basically shows them we've got absolutely no stone being left unturned so that when we present you offers there's facts figures data basically a case provided to say look every incremental detail right down to your lowest offers your feedback through to your highest offer and your silver bullet your highest offer that we can give you in the market at the moment we think you should take this offer based on all of these um, circumstances that's what a real estate agent does sticking something on and just hoping it sells you will get found out and it's when the market gets hard that's basically the tide going out and you'll find out he's been swimming with no trunks on it's <laughs> a good analogy to put <laughs> yeah. one of the things you mentioned um earlier on when we were speaking is that obviously uh you have some issues in terms of, like criminal convictions yeah. would you mind talking about like what happened with that and then yeah. how you overcame that afterwards yeah i mean it's um it's no secret you know that um in 2015 i was convicted um for basically intent to supply class a so i was the i know a lot of people are going through this as well um it's the classic struggle of earning medio mediocre money and having an urgency to earn more money and not really knowing how to do it so naturally it's very easy to bump into people who are doing it and saying yeah i'm making this much i made a thousand pound last week i did this and blah 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 all you got to do is serve it up to your friends and all this sort of stuff really like when i look back it was like oh this is this seems like logical it was very business driven it was you know weird <laughs> and 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 um you know it just escalated and a few people involved got kind of caught up caught and you know i was i was in that sort of that that group and um and it come on top and next thing you know there was if i can remember about two or three different things that you know if you've got like a highlight reel in your head you don't remember everything but you remember certain things one of them was my first meeting with a solicitor that meeting with a solicitor you're praying they're going to tell you something that's going to get you out of it and the first thing he said is yeah you're looking at about three years I went, what do you mean i'm looking at about three years yeah you'll go to prison for about three years i was like what i can't go to prison that's ridiculous i was only like you can't fa- you can't come to terms. Yeah. you can't come to terms with someone telling you that Certainly not for the first time. Probably people who are in and out, yeah, it's water off a duck's bat. For me, it was not water off a duck's bat. This was not okay. I was like, I'm not going to prison. I can't do prison. Like, we've got to fight it. We've got, you know, where's Johnny Cochran? Get him involved. <laughs> like, you know, anything. Like, you know, it was, it, was, it was just, I was not cut out for it, right? It, it should, it, it, I shouldn't have been there in the first place. I made a bad decision. I'm stupid. I'll do whatever. It was one of these, all these things yeah. that go through your head, like, I shouldn't be doing that. Anyway... Um, I was on bail for like 12, 13 months. So 
that was painful in itself because you just knew this day was coming along. I remember um, having to go with my mum to Milton Keynes Shopping Centre to go shopping for prison clothes because you can't have like you've got to have like grey nondescript tracksuits with small logos and all this sort of stuff. It was fucking horrendous. And um, and then next day I went to court and bang, I was in and out of there so fast. It was like, yep, yeah, 40 months. And the, uh, the other thing that stuck out was the lady prison officer who I was cuffed to, she said, um, oh, 14 months, that's not too bad, is it? And I went, I don't think he said 14, I think he said 40. And she went, oh, let me check. Comes back, yeah, it was 40. Fucking hell, like, I just couldn't believe it. And then I was the first in, so I sat in the holding cell all day. And it was just, there's nothing to do. You're staring at, imagine just staring at a ceiling for like 10 hours, 8 hours. It just, time just stood, so you didn't know what time of the day it was, anything. Anyway, um, so that was it. Got taken into Woodhill, which was um, effectively, it's a category A prison, but it's a dispersal prison. So you're there for like six weeks. And uh, I mean, it was it was nuts because you still can't believe it. And the other thing that, that stuck out was when I sat and I looked at the charge sheet and it's got the date of entry, the date of charge, and then it's got your date of release, and your date of release has a different year on it, and your and it's March. So you've, <laughs> how can it have a different year? It, all these things are going in your head. I can't explain it, but fuck me, it wallops you. It really, really knocks you for six. And the funny thing is, I mean, I just made mistakes to try and make quick money. It wasn't because I was trying to be in the next series of Top Boy or anything like that. It was literally like I was just this white-collar guy that was trying to make a bit of dough on the side, and I got caught, and I got slammed for it as well, you know. So that taught me some horrific lessons, some lessons of, you know... And, and the funny thing is, is, you know, even my worst days here, like as in, I say here, in my worst days in life now, I would have prayed for them days back then. So even when things go, like, hard and everyone's panicking, I'm just like, you know what, don't worry about it. It's not Perspective, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I'm very, like, resilient because I remember when I, you know, got told when I could eat. I remember having to share a cell with very questionable characters where you're pretty much sleeping with one eye open. You don't know if they're going to flip. You don't know who they are. You don't know there's rumours this person's in for this, especially in the dispersal jail when it's like you are rooming with people on remand for murders and stuff like that. So, like, you know, you think you got it bad. These people are like, God, some of the stories you heard of how people are in there and what they've done, fucking hell. Like, you don't know this stuff goes on. Which is swept under the radar. Oh, well, you never hear about it. You never hear about it. I could tell you stories and I'd be thinking, that couldn't have happened. And then someone would go, yeah, look, have a look at this newspaper clipping or whatever. And you think, my God, like, what lives are people leading to go down? How does it get that bad that you end up doing something like that? It's insane. And your... The best way I could describe it is... It's the closest thing to being dead without actually being dead. I know that sounds weird, but like, it's like you pass through a portal where you don't exist anymore, and, that, and that's that's what it just is. Just like off the grid, almost. You just disappear. You disappear. Your family will make the effort to come. Everyone forgets about you. It's like you're dead. 
like I swear it's a bit like you know if like someone you know dies and then everyone puts up the posts and for about a week everyone's oh, you know RIP and all this stuff and then everyone gets on with their lives that's what happens when you go to prison except you don't even get the RIP it's just like oh so and so went to prison scumbag and then like oh by the way oh he's back out two years later and that's kind of how it happens it's, it's, it's did you surf all 40 months was it two years no so you do half I did 16 months in, in there there was six of them were in DCAT and there was four months on TAG as well it was um, it was weird because I got an, a job in agency and I didn't tell them I was on tag, so <laughs> I had to get an extension from the probation officer because I had to say, look, I work till six o'clock. It's an hour to drive home because I was driving from Milton Keynes to North London. I remember like I'd, I used to be really conscious of it because I'd have my my sock pulled over. When my you tag. sit when you sit down, really chunky thing on my leg. Um, Oh God, it was crazy, and like I just, and, and you know, and, and and that was, but but that was like the most humbling experience. I would never want anyone to go through. It. You shouldn't have to go through that to learn lessons. But for me, I was so here, there, and everywhere. My brain was a bit all over the place. I had great ideas, but I was also looking for shortcuts. And the the greatest thing I took out of it is you can't take shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. Like. Um, you can't take shortcuts in life you will there's a saying I think I heard in prison which was every dog has his day and you know the problem is is that some people they get so deep into it and they're actually not bad people that's the funny thing don't be wrong there are some fucking scumbags in there but there are some good people that have just made bad decisions and sometimes if you're in too deep then the, the consequences are too heavy if you get a, if you get a 12 or a 15 or a 20 stretch because you were suddenly fucking flying in kilograms you're in you're in a bit of trouble you know what i mean you know you might be a good person and you might have only been doing it for money but you are breaking the law on a catastrophic level a massive level you know if you're okay making a bit of money on the side you can bounce back from it so there was a lot of things that i learned there that were just chaotic and I saw I was in Doncaster in Ramby I watched the whole the wing get taken over by prisoners and like there was riots you know all the if you ever seen the films and there's like the netting in the middle yeah they were jumping on the nettings pool tables over they were fighting the officers it was chaos I just looked out of this window and I got pushed by one of the officers because they were just pushing you into cells because once they shut the door you're locked so I was in with this random guy I never spoke to in my life and me and him are sat in there for, for eight hours because you just locked in this cell and I was looking through this window and watching chaos unfold and I just thought my god this can't be real it was like some of the, vis- the, the memories I've got in my head and it's like watching a film it's like I can't, couldn't believe I watched it and and I just remembered the first day I was there I called my dad on the blue box phone on the wall and I was like if I could sh- if I could show you what I'm looking at you just wouldn't believe it it's like you just wouldn't believe it it's like everything you've seen in a film it's like stereotypical prison it's stuff. that and it's worse Really? You think they exaggerate it for films? They don't get it right in films, because it's actually a scary place. Like it's not scary for everyone. You know, you hear like the rumours of like, you know, you can't go to the showers and you can't do this and all that sort of stuff. 
listen, if, you, if you're not a problem and you're not looking for trouble, you won't get any trouble. Like, you won't. You've got to be very, very unlucky. It's usually the people that are doing things in there. You know, trouble attracts trouble. If, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a crackhead and he's borrowing money for drugs and he's doing this and robbing that person, all that, all that sort of stuff's going on. I watch people get attacked, stabbed, sliced over a packet of tobacco because it's the respect. It's like because you, your currency in there was these packet of rolling tobacco. It's like gold dust. You you get a haircut. It's fucking mind-blowing when I, when I talk about it. Because I feel so far away from it, but I'm going back into the memory bank. But, like, you get a haircut, and the guy would charge you half a pack of tobacco, and, and I didn't smoke. So I'd have to buy this tobacco off some random fucking guy and go, there you go, mate, and then he cut my hair. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? This is How do you get the money in the first place? Oh, yeah, so you can't obviously do cash. So what happens is, this is how a lot of fights started in there. <laughs> you get this thing called a canteen sheet, and basically it gives you an order of, like, what you're, you're allowed from a spend. Your family will send money, and it gets held on your account, but you're only allowed 20 £25 pound a week to spend on this canteen sheet. This is to what, buy... max? Yeah, this is to buy... Um, external goods from like a supermarket so say you wanted like some sweets or ingredients or fruits or all the stuff that you're not going to get that provided by the prison that's what you buy on it you get some very like you know it's sad because you get some very poor people and they don't have any money not even 20 quid being put on their canteen sheet from family so you would buy the tobacco or what i do is i'd say to someone have you got half a tobacco to pay the fucking barber and then I'd pay him but I'd have to give him a whole one back <laughs> it's just nuts and um, and that's how it kind of worked and there was all, there's all these deals being done it's all this it's got its own currency going on it's fucking nuts and like so you'd have <laughs> there's another one there'd be someone like on the hall who'd have a shop so what they'd do is they'd have a shop where they'd have all these boxes of like Skittles and Maltesers and all this. And what the deal was is you'd take one and on your canteen you'd give him two back. So that's how the, the business worked. That's and then right. every now and then the shop would just get robbed by someone. And then they go, oh, fucking so-and-so shop's just been robbed. And you can see some crackhead running around with loads of Skittles in his hands. <laughs> it's just... The thing is chaos. It's chaos. And it's, it's like... It's... One thing that I was when I watch like the prison movies and stuff like that, they miss all these details, and I wish they'd sit down with people in it and actually get all these little details because it's the intricate details that make it the most unbelievable thing you've ever seen. Because the the way humans interact, I've you don't know how bad society is until you see it there, and you'll get the white collar crime guys. And they're thrown into this. And they just can't fucking believe it. They can't believe it. It's, you know, they're well-spoken. They're from private schools, all this stuff. And then you've got a guy in the same cell as him who's got no money for tobacco, so he's smoking a tea bag. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. But, but it taught me some unbelievable life lessons, like crazy life lessons, like... 
made me realize that you're not above the law you can't take shortcuts you can't you can't do this stuff like and it also made me very driven to to not put my family through that again you know that was i could deal i could deal with it i'm a very resilient guy but like it hurt my mum, hurt my dad hurt hurt people very close to me a lot you know seeing how much it hurt them was the thing that hurt me the most um them having to travel two three hours to a visiting hall I used to have panic attacks in the visiting halls. It was weird because I was always all right in in the actual environment. I was always I'm kind of quite streetwise. I, I know how to get about. I get on with people. And it's very easy for me. Um, but sitting in a visiting hall and you can see parents and they're asking you questions like, "Ah, oh, how's it going?" and all this, and you're trying to make out you're all right and you're really you're fucking pissed off and. I, I used to start feeling dizzy. I used to start feeling like having anxiety attacks. I'm trying to control these anxiety attacks in the visiting hall. It was a weird, weird process because you just know they're so fucking pissed off and disappointed with you and they're trying to be nice and keep upbeat and you know they've just had to wait and get patted down in the entry hall, in the visiting hall as they're coming in because people sneak things in. So they're being treated like criminals themselves, my mum, my dad. It's just horrible and like... Then you're sitting there and you get to have like a chicken burger or something and pretend life's good and it's fucking shit. And, you, and I, 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 going back, I wish they didn't come because but I wanted to see them, but I just hated them coming. It was my worst time as a visiting. What did you do when you came straight out of there? How did you feel? Weirdly, what was happening is I had a few home visits before and it, that when I'd go home, everyone was like so nice to me and they were like... What, you were allowed to go home and then go back to prison? Yeah, it was like a part so of weird. D category. So like when you get to the open prison, they start testing you to make sure you're not going to run away and all this stuff. So you get these signed off home visits like for a weekend, once a month or whatever and you'd go back and you'd spend two days at home and then you'd come back, return at a certain time and that would be the prison's way of testing that you're integrating back into society and you're not going to go and rob a bank or whatever it is that you know they're worried about so when i left i thought it was all going to be that kind of vibe <laughs> and it wasn't it was like my dad picked me up and i was all like happy yeah i'm out brilliant and he had just had a face like fucking thunder it was not the welcoming party that i expected it was basically you know don't ever if you put your family through this again you you are going to be disowned basically this 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 can't happen you get one of these you get one of these that's it and i thought fuck and it was a quiet car journey home um and i was re reflecting a lot i was crying quite a bit i was very very disappointed in myself i looked like a bag of shit I was, everything was just like, where do you go? What's your first thing you do? All these thoughts are going on in my mind. And, you know, that was that that was a really, really weird part, was thinking to yourself, what's the first thing you do? People also panic act. The reason I think people try to get, they end up getting back into the same crimes they commit is they learn a lesson short term, but they don't learn it long term. So what they'll do is they'll see their friends who are earning money, they'll see all these things, and they'll go, I need to earn money, I need to get back up to speed as quick as possible, so I can go out with the lads. And they take the easy route to get there, yeah. And then they go back to the same thing. And they go, oh, well, if I just do this on the side, oh, it's not this. I won't get caught again. I won't get caught again, I'll be smart. I'm doing it with this person now, not that person, blah, blah, blah. And then they get fucked for it. And actually, just, just wait. Like, you have cocked up, you now have to go through that period of rebuilding and 
becoming an integral part of society and that doesn't happen overnight and that's what I had to do I mean god like I talk about like you know I was a bloody axe murderer it's like I was a low as low a level person in this crime as you could get but I got caught and I thought it was a very harsh sentence for what I got to be honest they could have stuck me in for six months slapped me on the wrist and they'd never heard from me again do you know what I'm saying I think they should be looking at things you know it's a waste of resources you don't need to stick me in for 40 months or 20 or whatever it's too long it's too long and like sometimes I think you can certain crimes deserve a very heavy punishment other people I think you, they're better off using their resources to monitor that people integrate quicker back into society but that's another debate you know what would you say is the biggest business lesson you learned from that process um, must, must be things you've taken from that and imagine it's made you a much more fucking determined individual coming back off of that yeah I think the big one was um, was visualising you know taking action imagine making a decision let's say you were being released in six months or five months imagine making a decision that you were going to succeed in business five months before you were out so you've got no resources you've got maybe a pen and paper at best and you've got nothing but your ideas and you've got that for five months that was the that was like going to military school for visualization and manifestation which i'm not a massive fan of manifesting and all that stuff i think it's a bit of a cliche i think you can't go walk into your garden and i think tony robbins said and say there's no weeds there's no weeds there's no weeds if there's weeds in your pavement there's weeds in your pavement like you just like you can't sit in your apartment and say i'm gonna have a million pound i'm gonna have a million pound no one's gonna knock on your door and just give you a million pound like there's action and there's all these things attached to it but i conditioned my brain for five months into all of the intricate details that I was going to achieve. I had, imagine there was a shelf above my, where I laid in my bed, and the shelf was covered from top to bottom in post-it notes. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to own a Lamborghini. I'm going to, all of these different things. I'm going to run a business. I'm going to be, and you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to respect my family. I'm going to do things for my mum. I'm going to make my dad proud. I'm going to do all the, all this stuff was like written. And I would repeat it. And I would literally... I had nothing else to do. So I was literally repeating this stuff back to me. Like day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. To the point where it was like as normal as breathing to me. I would, I would say it without... I'd be able to recite everything that was on the bottom of these post notes without looking at them. I'd do it as I'd have my eyes closed and I was going to sleep. It was a weird ritual that I was going through. And I conditioned my brain so much. And that was what it is. Is that it taught me that... If I can focus on a goal in that environment and execute it, there's absolutely no excuse. That's why I don't take people's excuses. I think that's actually why I don't. When I think to myself, why why do I not listen to people's reasons when they say they can't do it? And I just think it's bullshit. I think it's bullshit. you got kids, well, tell your fucking missus to look after them. You're busy at work, well, get a new job. Get a part-time job, scale down all your luxuries in life and go and work 10 hours a day in real estate. You know, there's always an option. It's whether you want it enough. What you're willing to sacrifice. And we go back to sacrifice. Because there's a cost of everything. Mm. And there's uh, a saying someone said to me before is that, like, choose your suffering. Like, yeah. You can choose to suffer now intensely or you can suffer for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. And the choice is yours. Oh, it's, it's so true. And, like... 
people just don't understand it. They just don't understand what is required to make those sort of moves. And like everybody, the problem is as well. This is this is probably if I said what's my what's my biggest gripe with like society now and especially business i mean there's lots of other things you can have a go at, but i'm talking about business right is actually social media itself weirdly social media is i know it's yours and it's, it's certainly one of mine is probably the the biggest tool actually that we have but what social media also gives people a license to do is fucking bullshit that's the problem that I fucking can't stand. I wish there was some bar of entry that people can't... Because nothing stops someone... Saying whatever they want. Saying whatever they want. <laughs> it's like, I made a million pounds. Do it. No, you didn't. Like, no, you didn't. What they're doing is they're trying to fool people into thinking they're rich so they can then make a business to make money off the back of people paying them to... Learn. Think, but you haven't done it in the first place that's the biggest gripe I in what I do it. with the like, yeah, fitness oh, business side I bet which is why I put off a fucking post the other day of like two two common club awards because no one else fucking got yeah, it yeah I saw that yeah, it so amazing. it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a saying already the other day it's like men lie women lie results don't lie oh, it's and it's true. like the fucking yeah. just some things are undisputed you can't fucking testify at I've some point I've seen it man it's like people come up they, they like I've seen it, people like they even left my business, right? And then they, they just like start a new business, cool. And then they just lie. And it's like, just go on their fucking website. Go on their like, right move listings. See how many listings they've got. Because obviously I'm real estate. See how many listings they've got. See, see, see if it's in the hundreds or if it's five or 10 or 15. Because I wouldn't be taking advice off that person. I'd be saying, you know, and... and I put up a saying the other day on my, my Instagram, and it was the, the quickest way to to make yourself poor is to take get-rich-quick advice off poor people. Like, why are poor people advising people on how to get rich? You haven't got a fucking pot to piss in, mate. Like, I'm not being funny, but I would never in a million years, as an agent, as a uh, if I was getting in a fitness industry, whatever it might be, I'd be going to someone and going... Has he done it or she done it? Like, and I mean, have they done it? Not saying they're doing it, done it. Like, have they fucking done it? And if they've done it, then there is tangible results that you can now reverse engineer from the result that they've done, which you can apply and you'll find yourself on that same timeline. If that person has no money and they're saying they have money and they're saying they achieved this when they fucking didn't, then... You are just about to waste a shitload of time and money. And then you're going to go, business didn't work for me. Fitness industry didn't work for me. Real estate wasn't for me. No, no. You just picked a fucking fraud to try and advise you because they've got no money themselves. So they're trying to rip you off for your money thinking that you're... Because you might be stupid enough to go along with it. And it's, it, and, and that's my gripe is that I worked... There's, there's people in my industry that I respect. I don't particularly like some of them. But I respect them. And the reason I respect them is because they've, they've done it. That's why they have my respect. That's why they have my respect. I am not a hater. I've never been a hater. If someone makes money doing something, I will commend them whether I dislike them or like them. Because they still did it, They right? did it. They don't need a well done from me to know that they've done it. Their bank account tells them. And that is why they have my respect. When I see what can only be described as like charlatans 
like complete fucking frauds going onto the internet and saying I've done this I've built this click here and follow my this I'm like no you haven't you've not done it like people who are signing up for this stuff why don't you ask them some questions like really ask them this is an example in terms of what I say to people it's like (laughs) ask them did they have a fitness business and if they said yes is do you still have it or did you sell it? Because if you don't still have it and you didn't sell it, it was shit and it didn't work yeah, in the first place. Yeah, it's a good good place to start. Absolutely. I think that, you know, social media gives people the, the, the kind of license to say what they want and there's no repercussions. Now, the problem is, right, I'll tell you who, where the repercussions fall. The repercussions fall on the idiots that send the money. They're the people that suffer. Because when people come into Tyrone Ash International, there are people that we've not succeeded with every agent. There's been a, a turnover rate, of course. But we have, in, have got the systems and the training and the processes that I've gone through with a fine tooth comb where I've made it so accessible. I've got meetings reiterating every day we've got live training sessions we've got a training library of every single subject broken down into bite-sized pieces so you just have to be on the way to a market appraisal and you can flick on the market appraisal video and renew what you need to know to go into that meeting or you've got senior people that you can bounce off and get the information what i'm getting at is that the only way you fail in my business is if you don't make the effort that's the only component that will make you fail. Everything else is there for you. So that's why when someone fails in my business, I don't lose a fucking wink of sleep about it because we've done our bit. We've come up with our half. If you can't even get out of bed in the morning and put your fucking socks on, that's your problem. You've got some bigger problems in life waiting for you. But if you've got someone, here's the flip side of it. If you've got someone who isn't that person, someone who just happened to have got sucked into some idiot's marketing and actually really wants to change their life, probably has the last £1,000 or £2,000 or £5,000 of disposable cash that they've got, probably doesn't come from a wealthy family, but wants to break the cycle. And instead of coming into contact with me or in your industry and you, they come into contact with a fraud, they're going to lose that money. And they'll never believe they can do it again. And they they, they won't even get the chance because they'll get scared, they get burnt, their fingers are burnt. And they go, fucking hell, I tried real estate. I tried being a fitness influencer or growing my fitness business. It wasn't for me. It didn't work. But, you know, it's because you fucking sent money to a dickhead. That's why. (laughs) And And there's a lot of them around. Yeah, there's so many. Do your due diligence. That's what I say to people. Do your due diligence. I know you're excited, right? That's the other thing. Everyone's excited. But, you know, even Del Boy used to take his suitcase to the market and make sales but the watches never worked you know what i'm saying is that those people will make sales and make a living but don't make make sure you're not buying it off del boy make sure that you're getting the real deal doing the getting the real deal because it will burn you and your ignorance because you're committed to the process you will put your belief in this person because you want it to happen it's cognitive bias and you believe anything at that point 
Well, you're committed. You're, you're pot committed, aren't mm. you? It's a bit like playing poker. You've shoved all in. You've got no fucking choice now. You better hope the fucking hand comes you got, out. You've got to ride it yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it, you're pot committed. And that's what I, I, I find quite sad, is that, like, I love hearing and speaking to and feeling the energy of people that want to fucking make a change. I absolutely love it. Because when I'm around people like that, it doesn't matter if you've made a load of money. It doesn't matter if you don't. I don't care. Like, what, what I love is that I can tell... When that per- if that person's going to succeed based on those Who interactions, I know that in I think to myself if, if you're doing everything you're saying and you continue like this in one year you're going to make a shit ton of money doing this, and I also know the people that make all the wrong noises. I know the people that you've got to keep nudging to be on the meeting. Don't do the social media content. Aren't working long enough. Get distracted. Are drinking three four nights a week. All this stuff is all the recipe for the people that aren't going to succeed. And when those people that have got those abilities and that commitment and all that, and they fucking make that wrong decision, it's bad because there's no coming back from it. You've, You've sent your money to someone who is going to squander it and hasn't got a product, a value or a service to deliver on what you're hoping they're going to deliver on. That's what I hate about social media at the moment. 100%. And... I think that's a, a good note to finish on. Yeah, absolutely. That was fucking wild. That's really, really good. So, um, where's the best place people to find out more about you, Tyron, and what you guys do? Yeah, so I've got my personal Insta page, Tyron Ash Official. Our website, our Insta page for the business is Tyron Ash International. That's a, a whole load of content of like all of the um, luxury real estate agents in the UK and Dubai. Um, if anyone's interested in exploring a career in luxury real estate, please drop me a message. Um, our recruitment doors are open at the moment and then obviously if you want to look at our properties go on to tyronash.com or um, any of the portals so yeah awesome uh, make sure you follow him check out everything else and if you're interested in a job in real estate it's yes. uh, a lot of great skills and you can make a lot of money in Dubai as well yes um, so big thank you to you for everyone who enjoyed that that was a fucking hell of a conversation <laughs> uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast share this with a friend and big thank you to you dude thank you thanks for having me as well it's been pleasure. an absolute pleasure man pleasure. thank you